Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. Coming to you on another fine day. My name is Graham and joining me today is Love Island's biggest fan. It's Luke Holmes. Hi, Graham. Hi, Luke. Are you exposing me yet again, yeah? Wouldn't be the first time with <laughs> No. Telling everybody that I like Love Island. Ah, oh well, nothing wrong with it. Full of drama, why not? Sure. Nothing quite like uh reality TV, hey? Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> so we're back for another uh another exciting uh week of action. It's race week this week. Of course the Hungarian Grand Prix is is this coming uh this coming weekend, but uh, for now, before then, we had to negotiate a non-race week, uh, a very uneventful non-race week, even despite the uh, the Hamilton Verstappen hangover. I guess uh, now that the, the kind of the dust is even further settled, um, have your thoughts or viewpoints changed at all on that incident at all, or how do you how do you feel about it now that the dust has settled a week later? After hearing multiple opinions, my my opinion itself hasn't changed. I just it's more swung to the fact that. Hamilton's penalty should have been a lot harsher from what I've seen come out because it was a few years ago when Vettel had an incident and he ended up winning a race or something like that and Hamilton came out saying that a guy who causes an accident can't end up winning a race or something along them lines. So for me, in Hamilton's own words, he shouldn't have won. Yeah, it's look, it obviously split a lot of opinion. Um, Red Bull with their data suggesting that, you know, if under normal circumstances, Hamilton's not making that corner at the speed he was carrying. Uh, they're still mulling over the the decision to appeal. The, Christian Horner says they have a right to uh, review for appeal. And they calculated the damage to be £1.3 million, pounds, although they're trying to salvage the Honda engine, which went out to Japan. Good luck is all I have to say on that end. Yeah, but if if they can't repair that, that's a template grip pan. At some point down the road, yeah, yeah, for an extra. Yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? That's where it's it's, it's had a knock on effect. So if that comes into play in the championship fight later down the line, then that's going to be even more. It's going to bring it all back up again, isn't it? Plus, you've got the cost cap stuff as well. So like an mm. incident like that has more bearing than just the race result itself, which is why there's obviously a lot for Red Bull too. Uh, consider. Indeed. Uh, my my la- my lasting viewpoint is I look is either is one of two. It goes one of two ways. Like either you say it's a racing incident and move on, yeah. which seems to be uh, the popular opinion for a lot of people. Although twi- if you look at F one Twitter, uh, definitely no, not. Just don't just don't look at F one Twitter after yeah. an incident like that. It's just poor. Um, so either you say it's a racing incident and move on, or the penalty you give is much harsh. And I said that last week, and I still feel the same way. If you're deciding that he's a, he is a fault, and their phrasing was predominantly a fault, um, I don't see why you can't... I, I can't see 10 seconds being... If you if you deem him to be guilty, I just don't understand how 10 seconds is, uh, you know, is is the, what the offence is settled on. So either it's racing, it's either it's nothing, or if you decide that it's something, it needs to be something a bit more substantial than a 10 second penalty, which he could make up, you know, <laughs> in his sleep essentially. Yeah, especially when another car's out of the way. Yeah, That's, yeah, easy, easy done. 
so yeah, that, that was that was my lasting point on that, and I'm, again, I'm sure we'll hear more about it. But I thought it was quieter than I thought it would have been, actually, given the week that was in it. I thought there would have been more fuss kicked up, where we may, we may have heard an FIA stewards or request or something or appeal or something, and we might still. But I, it's, the hangover has been a little bit more uh, quieter than I thought it might be. Yeah, I think the emotions were running Very high, high straight away. Straight away, so I think a lot of the energy got taken away from it in that first initial day, mm. and then after that, it was literally nothing. There's been the occasional debate I've seen, but nothing out of the ordinary. I think you're right. I think everyone had something to say on the day, and then not a ton after it. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. Uh, moving on from that, uh, I want to make mention this quickly because it seems this this picked up a bit of traction on the uh, no, pun inten- no pun intended, of course. This this seemed to p- pick up a bit of traction over the weekend uh, and last weekend, and even more so this weekend. Is that it seems like Qatar is, seems to be floating around as an, as a, a possibility of, as a venue F one might go to this year to, uh, I guess, to make up one of the uh, one of the numbers. Uh, seems to be increasing rumblings on this. There's an article on race fans about it. Uh, it's it goes into a lot of detail about you know uh, previous favors and that kind of thing and uh, the classic who you know kind of thing. Uh, there's a lot of interesting points in this article. I recommend reading it, but I'm not going to spend too much time going into it because it's it's quite in depth. But I'd say familiarize yourself with the fact that I'd say Qatar could be a uh, surprise stop on the F1 calendar this year. I've been like expecting this kind of thing to happen in the next few years anyway. So for me, mm. it's, it was going to happen sooner or later. So it is, I'm not sure if the track's really suited to our, to the cars. It doesn't look that great, if I'm honest. <laughs> it looks but, like a cactus. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not really going to be good. I've seen a lot of people wanting to go back to Malaysia, which I don't see being a possibility with the COVID scenario. In uh, Asia, with obviously like Singapore already being cancelled, can't see Malaysia being one of the tracks to fill that void that Australia has left either. So, yeah, yeah. it's going to be interesting. I think I believe it's MotoGP's night opener. So if F1 was going to it, I believe it probably would be a night race. But I know it's got more a lot to do with the fact that I think now I haven't I only skimmed the article, I haven't read it fully. So forgive me if I'm mistaken. But the the supposed details is that. Bahrain kind of had rights on a, you know, on this kind of this kind of event in their contract, which blocked other, I think, I believe other neighboring or close to neighboring countries are doing this, you know, hosting a similar event. I believe that option's not in their contract anymore because that original one was negotiated with Bernie Eccleston, who of course is no longer in the fray here. So um, I'm paraphrasing a lot. I might have one or two two details wrong, but definitely check that article out because you're gonna have. I think. You should be preparing yourself for uh, Qatar to be a late addition to the uh, to the calendar here. Probably see it tomorrow night. You said that, <laughs> yeah, likely. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. To be fair, it worked out similarly with Miami as well. <laughs> we were we yeah, covered yeah. Miami one week, and then the next week, boom, announcement. Yeah. So obviously, we're we're the hot news, <laughs> so we're gonna get it right, and it's gonna be the. <laughs> so yeah, that should be interesting. Uh, have a look at the track map as well. It, it, it like I'm looking at the the photo race fans use lit up at night, and it, it looks like a cactus on the left hand side. So it was it's good for MotoGP. I've watched a few MotoGP races around there a few times. It, it was fun for that. I'd say don't know if it'll work for our cars and our kind of thing. So mm. yeah, 
we shall see if that A gets announced and, and B if you know what the story is when we get there but uh, let's move on though because we got briefly we're going to talk about the Formula 2 action at uh, Silverstone and I mean briefly because um, action. the the common well Bert Bylander was very busy so he was yeah. But other than that, there was very little action really to be had at Silverstone. Everyone found difficulties overtaking. Uh, there was not a lot of running because it felt like there was like th- two or three and something even four safety cars. I felt like in a in a uh, in the race, maybe not four, but close enough, at least two. And it took forever, forever to get racing again. And I was thinking this, and then you said it to me talk about oh, the amazing british grand prix and the fans and the marshals and the marshals took absolutely forever to do anything to get racing underway again it was any kind of safety car came out it was like for two sorry three or four laps at least yeah for like the smallest thing like, like i said about verstappen's crash last weekend it took them nearly two laps to decide what they were doing the car just stood there i know the the ers and stuff mm. might have still been active but even then like it still took them a good lap to decide to deploy the safety car in F2 in a, on a couple of occasions. But the, uh, the incident in the sprint race two, it took a full lap just before they were coming round the start-finish straight, they decided to deploy the safety car. The crash happened nearly a minute and a half ago. Like, what is that? <laughs> to be fair, I'll, I'll actually come to their defence on that in the fact that at least we get... in the Because... Like, you're going to have a safety car anyways, but because once these F2 cars go, that's it. You're not getting them back going. You're, if you lose it, you're not getting it back going again, unlike F1 and F3. Yeah. But at least this way, you get at least a lap or so. At least you can get some some scraps, some lap one scraps or whatever the case may be before you have to throw out a safety car. So at least you get some racing before you have to you have to throw out a safety car. So at least let them get a little bit closer before you decide to, to halt, the, uh, halt the action. I think that was a, a sensible... Uh, decision to be fair yeah it probably was the most overtaken action we got all weekend to be mm, fair as well yeah. i say that yeah <laughs> yeah everyone had issues really following unless unless someone was out particularly out of place uh, everyone had issues following and overtaking uh, again we talked about the challenges and difficulties of overtaking silverstone last week so uh we're going to quickly run through this your sprint your race winners were uh, robert schwartzman run one race one ahead of vips and christian lungard getting stuff on the podium for a, a well-needed result very timely one indeed and then race two saw richard for sure ahead of marcus armstrong and dan tickdom uh, a very i'd say a very happy podium that to be fair given their armstrong yeah. struggles for sure <laughs> being unsure whether he has a future in in f2 and obviously tickdom getting a home home podium and then feature race uh, results, uh, Guan Yu Zhou took uh, Oscar Piastri off the line and pretty comfortably won the feature race. I have Dan Tictum and then Piastri himself finishing third place himself, with Joe making up for uh, making up for a DNF, I believe, in... Was it race one or race two? Yeah, race it was one, too busy. Wasn't it? Too busy watching uh, the, the goat himself <laughs> hit the back of Lungard and then spun. <laughs> that would make it... Uh, race i can't remember what race it was race two right that was no race one race two race two is the one where he avoided the crash at the start yeah it was race one where it happened obviously i keep forgetting race one is reversed and not yes yeah don't don't think the goat is going to qualify that aisle no oh. of course not not without um you know the the shootout position stuff in monaco where he got the majority of his well in fact 
I'm going to say all of his 12 points. I looked at this earlier. Uh, do, 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 Roy Nassani. Yeah, all 12 points came at Monaco. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> so it's been scoreless elsewhere. So what it does do, though, for the championship is that Oxford Piastri takes the lead from Guan Yu Zhou, 108 points ahead of uh, Joe in second place at 103. A little bit of a gap then back to Schwartzman, 91. And you got Dan Tictum in fourth on 89 points. Yuri Vips in fifth on 85. And then you have a bit of a gap to Portchair in sixth place with 65 Djokovic, 759, Lawson, 58, and then like Daruvla, 56, and then for sure rounds out the, the uh, top 10 of 50, and then it's a big drop to uh, Ralph Boschon on 36. So really, there's your top 10. So quite close to at the top. Uh, Joe managed to sal- salvage himself a result with the uh, the feature race win, although it wasn't enough to really make up for uh, you know the likes of Schwartzman and... Uh, Pia- well, more so Piastri who scored uh, he scored a whopping 35 points uh, Joe's 25 did at least tie him with Schwartzman but obviously a bit more spread out uh, even Tictum got himself 29 points in the end as well but still quite close between the top even five you, you throw in Yuri Vips in there too and it's still quite close like a 23 point lead in F2 is not a lot no I think they're, they're the five going for the title at mm-hmm. this point I think that's sort of uh neutralized itself hasn't it and we've got that lead pack now and it's very interesting to see how it goes with the alpine boys because it's going to be back and forth like if nothing happened in that feature race for zo then uh it'd have been very it'd have been much lower down than what he is yeah now to be fair he bossed it to be fair and he i did. think is he the first repeat feature race winner because i'm he not won, sure he won the feature race in bahrain of course as well i'm not 100 percent sure i know Porcher obviously won the feature race in Monaco and Vips won in Vips back, won yeah. back. So you would be then, yes. Yeah. Never been out four rounds, haven't we? Yeah. That's right. So yeah, I think speaking of Porcher down, I think that's fairly Porcher is just jostling for super license points at this stage and he's gonna need them. Yeah. We'll talk about that uh, later on. But it's those five. Uh, Vips has been a bit more quiet, I think, of the uh, of the bunch of late, it seems. Uh, obviously, the majority of his points scoring coming from uh, from Baku, where he scored 41. And a uh, decent weekend as well here with uh, 22 points, but obviously not picking up as much as uh, like of Tictum or Piastri. But looking at those top five, and uh, I guess even just an extended uh, look at that, kind of who stood out from uh, the the weekends running in general in, uh, in F2 over the weekend for you there? Tictum. By, by quite a bit, if I'm honest. He was the... One that was he got double podium mm-hmm. and was just looked like he looked like he was on the pace and just got stuck in one of the races, which is why he couldn't couldn't get anywhere. So it's unfortunate. Otherwise, he, I would have said he got three podiums in all three races because he looked really at home in that car. Yeah, he says Silverstone is his favourite circus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always laugh at that, given what happened in the past. Yes, yes. We won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> I always find that funny. But yeah, double podium for him. He's really kind of put himself into the contention here now. And I was looking at this earlier because I was determined to find out what super license points is for what. And I believe it's 40 you need for a super license. But they're giving a bit of an asterisk on that if 2020 is one of your three... Is they take it on a sample of three seasons, don't they? And yes. if 2020 is one of your three seasons, I believe it's 30. Okay. So, that's, that's a little bad, then, isn't it? Uh, this is according to Wikipedia, so it, it's you know perhaps take it with it's a reliable. little grain of salt. <laughs> it's reliable yes. and can't be edited by anyone at all. No, no. <laughs> so, 
But I'm looking here, I'm looking at Wikipedia here again. Uh, the super license pay breakdown for the likes of third, or for like the top three, I will get 40, which is all Mac qualification essentially. And fourth place here gets 30. So okay. now Tick wouldn't have got anything really for last year because he finished 11th. I had to look at this. He finished 11th in F2 last season. Really? He did. That low down. It was that low down. The majority of his scoring last year was done in uh, sprint races because it was. You know, he could never get the finish he needed in the feature races. So it re- yeah. reverse was where he got the majority of his podiums and points and that kind of thing. Okay. So, so I'm looking at that. And given that 2020 is one of those seasons where it falls into. And I think, I don't, how much F, I don't think he's done any FP1 testing though, has he? No, he's not because the GOAT's always been doing it. So if he can, if Tickton can get, if Tickton can get himself into the top uh, three here, he should have, uh, even maybe even still, he should have an automatic uh, uh, super license going forward here. So it's a big year for Tictum to do this. He needs to get that super license, give himself a chance of being named as a uh, a Williams a Williams driver because uh, his, uh, his, his, uh, his fellow, uh, the man he's competing with for said, uh, for said seat, your, your, your favourite driver, Roy Nassani, is uh, going to be nowhere in terms of getting that super licence. He could do all the FP1 tests in the world. I believe they're worth like two points. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's languishing down here in like 12th in the standings or whatever. Or actually, it's lower than that. He's languishing in 15th in the standings is uh, Roy Nassani here. So he's not getting it. Gives Tictum an opportune chance to do so. Uh, he's just behind Schwartzman and he's opportunity far behind Joe and uh, Piastri either. Yeah, he's doing really well. Yeah, I mean, good to see he's turned it, turned it around a bit. He seems to have calmed down a bit compared to last year, which he, he got very frustrated with the, the uh, Dams team, which is very understandable because they're not very good. Uh, which is why he's now with Carlin. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. Mm. He's moved teams and he's he's got better, which is why never believe the F two rumor that oh all the cars are equal. Well, then they're just not. Don't believe that ever. Some teams are better at setting them up than others, and some drivers are better at setting them up than others. Exactly. So with that, unless you have any, like I have zero thoughts on the uh, British Grand Prix running with F two, other than I laughed when. Uh, they, they it was race one. They talked like Nissan started third, I think, and they so you talked about how there it, it was all big, it was all hyped, and then lap one crashes into the back of uh, Christian Lungard, and might have been two corners in. Yeah, I don't think he, I, I don't think he got even to the loop, uh, or maybe it was <laughs> the loop, and did not did did not get down that uh, Wellington straight. So yeah, Brilliant. stellar stuff. Uh, really was uh, poetry in motion. I, I laughed when it happened because oh, I was in tears. It was, uh, you know, you might you see Ronnie Stanley in practice, and you know it's it, you think it's all that, and it. I've tried to tell you for years, it's not. It really isn't. <laughs> uh, oh, I love watching him. Oh, stop. Anyways, though, uh, it does bring us on. You mentioned the Alpine Academy boys earlier. Uh, this article came back came out a few weeks ago. It actually, came out on if I can find the date, uh, June sixteenth. So it's an old one, but F two hasn't been in action for like six weeks. So it's uh, you know it's kind of we can't kind of push it to the wayside. But uh, the it's from so an article on race fans. It's uh, by uh, Elliot Wood, and the headline is Alpine have quote too many F one juniors, but do they have a twenty two to twenty twenty two solution? So it's basically talked about the conundrum that Alpine have found themselves in with their driver academy of course we've talked about this at length there's no Roush 
and there hasn't ever really been for a Renault slash Alpine juniors to make it to F1. They have no affiliations with other teams, especially now that they only supply themselves for engines. Uh, they don't have a connection like, obviously, the likes of Red Bullwood with AlphaTauri, uh, likes that Williams and Mercedes, and even the, which might share with Aston Martin as well. Uh, they are just out of luck when it comes to that. And, of course, they've locked their two seats uh, for the long term, at least with Ocon and Alonso next year as well. So it puts Piastri and Joe, uh, more so than Lungard, in a difficult position where you've got Piastri, who, who's on course to do what right now, leading the championship, he's in, on course to do what the Clerk and Russell have done in recent years, where they've won, uh, you know, GP3 or F3. And then come up then and they're, they won win F2 in their first season, which is incredibly hard to do as rookies and generally the mark of a very, very good driver if you can you know make that progression that quickly. And then they make the immediate jump to F1. Well, Piastri may not get the opportunity <laughs> with Alpine. So the article basically talks about, uh, it talks about is his name, uh, Laurent Rossi, isn't it? Is the... Uh, is the uh, is the man these days at uh, at Alpine and basically talks about how they've no right for them that they always have too many of them. Um, he talked about that as a uh, as a positive problem, which sure, like mm. that was the case for Ferrari last year. But when you have no seats to put these cars in, you are on the hook for uh, you know trying to sort some of these guys' futures out. As much as you've given them a you know helped them and supported them, you do have to try and do something for them as well because. Piastri might be that talented that he could just up and leave and find somewhere else to drive. Because I'm sure if you win the title this season, you, you, you have to take notice of that. Yeah, you can't ignore a back-to-back junior category title winner, can you? It's just impossible. No matter what team you've got or what drivers you've got in your academy, you cannot ignore that level of talent. You have to sign him up no matter what. So the way I see this breaking down is is, is going to be like this. I think Lungar will stay in F2, given how this season has gone. Yes. I th- also very very unlucky, by the way, mm. at Silverstone. Yeah, not to mention his, his poor luck at Monaco as well. And it just hasn't been the season he would have wanted. So I imagine he'll... And he's, look, Lungard's young. I think he just turned... He may have just turned 19 or 20. He is, he is young. So, you know, you can leave him down there for a little bit. I'm, I'm stalling to... Uh, he just turned 20 t- on the 23rd of July. So, he, look, the guy is... The guy is young. You know, he's he's got time. I do believe this is a... This is a, a very talented driver. We saw that last year. Uh, he's the same age as Piastri, to be fair, as well. Piastri just turned 20 in April. So, both are young drivers. Both have time. I think Lungar will be fine. It's just... He's in a difficult position where he's in a, an academy that has no route forward and he just hasn't had a look on his side. But I think he will stay in F2. I think Guan Yu Zhou will end up going to Formula E. I would bet my yeah. house that Guan Yu Zhou is in Formula E next year. And I guarantee... I, I likely think that Oscar Piastri takes the route that Callum Eilat has this year with Ferrari. And, you know, is that understudy that third driver, that a reserve driver, that test driver. I guess in the same sense what Albon does this year too, to be fair, with Red Bull. You know, the guy who's doing those 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 Pirelli t- tire tests, all that kind of stuff. I could see Piastri taking that role next year. I think irrespective of the fact if he wins or not at this race. I disagree. Okay, what do you got? I, I've got Red Bull to snap him up. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that. 
No, but I, I, you know what Mr. Marco's like. If he sees yeah. a talented guy, and Renault, Alpine just don't have anywhere for him to go, do they? So, mm. for me, Yuki's not really cutting it. You can't let a talented guy, like we've just said, go by the wayside. He's not going to want to sit and by the by the uh, sidelines and do the reserve role. He's going to want to get straight in that car. And one of the only few teams that can offer him that seat is Alfa Tauri. It's very interesting so, because we talked about it the other week with um, Marco and the, George Russell and they're like monitoring that situation. And if they don't, you know, if Mercedes don't, uh, you know, up, uh, promote Russell, Marco is talking about possibly, you know, that's a kind of talent you can't really let line around. They they, uh-huh. they should they, they you know, talk about how they could snoop in and uh, you know maybe offer a drive to someone like Russell. You know, it's yeah, that makes a lot. What you say it makes a lot of sense. It's not like Marco has said anything uh, to uh, you know that train of thought. You know, we've just seen it from him. So yeah, maybe who knows? But that's yeah. interesting. I didn't think of that myself. Now I, I neither would surprise me. Although your way would surprise no. me slightly. <laughs> yeah, it, it it would take a lot for it to happen, but mm. I, I can see something similar along them lines happening, that kind of deal. Either he gets placed at AlphaTauri and but is still an Alpine driver, and then they owe, they could possibly work out an engine deal in the future if things don't work out with Honda and stuff like that. It, everything links together in Formula 1. Mm. Always has done. Or someone always some, owes someone a favour. Yeah, always. I was trying to think what it reminded me of, and I guess it reminds me similar of how, uh, fun enough, Aitken, when Jack Aitken left the Renault uh, Academy at the time for the Williams one. Because mm. uh, you, you don't see too often, I guess, drivers really, either you're, you know, either you're let go from the program or you leave it, or you don't see too many drivers switching from one to another. So this would, be, very this would be an interesting uh, example of that. But not the first from uh, Renault slash Alpine if it happened. Mm. So I guess with that in mind, uh, we're talking about drivers and possibilities. This seems like a good as chance as any to get this in now before the silly season really kicks off. And we're going to try and predict our 2022 driver lineups. So uh, always a fun one, this. Uh, of course, it will be ruined by a 9 a.m. announcement tomorrow of uh, George Russell going to Mercedes. Of course, I imagine will oh. be the uh, will be how it works out. Jokes on you! Yes. This releases on a set at seven o'clock on uh, <laughs> Monday morning. So we've, we've got it in. We've got it in before. <laughs> so I guess it's worth it now. To be fair, quite a number of drivers this year are under contract for next year. So we'll run through those ones. Uh, drivers under contract, as we know right now, officially are Lewis Hamilton for Mercedes, Max Verstappen for Red Bull. Uh, Ferrari are locked out with Leclerc and Sainz. Of course, Sainz signing a two-year deal. Although the way he's going, I imagine there'll be a... Could be, now, that's an extension that could be warranted. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. To be but fair. But don't, do, don't give him a five-year extension, please, no. for God's sake. <laughs> uh, Alpine are sorted too. They've got Alonso and obviously Ocon, we've talked about, uh, tied up. McLaren have their sorted too with Norris and Ricardo. And I believe Aston Martin with Sebastian Vettel officially is confirmed, although we all know Lance Stroll will be in that car next year as well. But I don't think that's... Uh, it's never it's never really official with him, is it? It's just nah, it just turns up, doesn't he? Yeah. So those, unless I'm mistaken, those are the ones we absolutely know are under contract for for next year. And you could... I have Lance Stroll written in red ink here, but you could basically put them in black ink. You know, it's... that's He'll be there. 
He'll, no, unless something miraculous happens, he will be in that mm. draw. And I'm imagining, you might disagree, I'm imagining, I, I expect this week when I hear an announcement about it, I'd expect Haas to retain their lineup of Schumacher and Mazepin very shortly as well. So I don't think a lot is changing there. Yeah, I've got that penciled down to stay the same. Mm. So that's quite a lot of seats, to be fair. That does still leave quite a number of seats to fill, though. So uh, why don't we start at Mercedes? Uh, I think we won't be too long here because I, look... We've, we've talked about this quite a lot, and I think everybody has. Yeah. I th- for me, ever since 2018, uh, I've always thought, this is the year. This is the year. This is the year. And first it was Esteban Ocon. And I still mm. would have thought Ocon maybe should have come up at the end of 18, uh, at the end of 18 given that he has... Well, he was ousted for 19 with a uh, stroll, and the fact that Bottas' 18 was uh, not great, uh, winless, in fact, I believe, in, uh, in 2018. It, it so I was convinced it was going to happen then. It didn't. It didn't happen in 19 either. It didn't even happen last year, but I'm fully convinced that this is the year we see George Russell finally promoted in a use him or lose him scenario. Do you, uh, do you disagree? I agree. Like you said, if he doesn't get this, get it done this year, then I think he walks from that program. Because if it's not happening now, then it's never going to happen, is it? Yeah. Either he walks, or someone, or he walks, or more likely he's snapped up by someone, someone else. But Ferrari. yeah, Ferrari could. Um, I, imagine. I imagine. I imagine that most teams would, if he became available. I imagine most yeah. teams would have to think about exit kind of contract uh, clauses with some of their existing drivers. Because again, a driver like that to come available who you wouldn't expect to be available it doesn't happen too often would Alpine sack off Ocon for George (laughs) (laughs) imagine that would be hilarious so we're both in agreement that George Russell will be a Mercedes driver next year yes 100% Mm -hmm. okay there is no nothing that changes my mind on that yeah so we can move on to Red Bull Uh, unless they don't promote George Russell here uh, I'm going to uh, presume that Sergio Perez will continue with with uh, Red Bull next year as well. Would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. Unless, like we say, unless the, the Mercedes don't sign Russell, then I see Checo keeping that seat. If not, mm-hmm. then Russell goes in that Red Bull. Yep. Yep. Fully agree with you on that one. It's great. We're moving. We're flying through this now. Yeah. Alpha Tauri. What do you have here? I have two. Uh, obviously, two potential openings here. So what's your what does your gut tell you? I've got two scenarios. So one we've already talked about with Piastri, and then obviously I, I don't see Gazza going anywhere. He's just the rock in, in that mm-hmm. team. He'd be silly to leave this year. I think with anything that can happen in twenty twenty two, that car's pretty decent in the midfield anyway. So the snack, the second scenario I, I have is Yuki gets booted in both of these scenarios for me. Okay, he just doesn't cut it I, I see Vips or Lawson slotting in into that car ooh Lawson depending, who, depending on who finishes higher uh, for reference obviously for reference Liam Lawson's in 8th place yeah so at the minute it, it looks likely that Vips takes that number 1 Red Bull priority I think he would regardless because I believe he... Now, I know Albon's got testing stuff, but I know Vips is heavily involved with Red Bull as well, mm. uh, especially at the back end of last year too. So I I'd, I think I think the other thing that British Grand Prix did as well, I think it also elevated Vips, I think properly this time, it elevated Vips over Lawson. I know there was a question mark, I'd say, before Baku 
about which yeah. t- which one may have been but I, I think the the leading red bull candidate from f2 is definitely yeah i think it's Dave definitely vips yeah definitely 100 percent. i just i don't think yuki's done enough to warrant it so far to stay and there's just too many drivers in that queue now do you think they give him the benefit of the doubt and say look you're however young <laughs> very young uh, it's a big step from F2 to F1. Do you think they give him a second season? No. You don't I think, think he drops down. That? No, he drops down to that Albon role for me. So and then we don't see him again. So that, that's also you saying that Albon's not coming back either? Yeah, that's Albon basically done as well. But I just don't see a path back unless something miraculous happens like with Williams or Alpine or something later down the line. And he just comes back for a one-off or something like that. I guess it depends. Okay, so let me let me outline this one first, and we'll talk about it. I also have Gasly back. I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, I I know there's been talks of Marco and that kind of thing with Gasly, but I just think this year it's a safe bet for him to stay. Uh, I don't mm. think the time is right for him to move. Whether he moves into the Alpine season 2020, uh, 2023, who knows? Uh, maybe there's a path for him at Red Bull for Stappen were to jump ship to Mercedes, who knows? Uh, but... I think Gasly, it, it's safe. He's not moving. Like I know the regulations are up in the air for next year regards competitive balance, but I can't imagine... There's no car he could move to right now, realistically move to, that would offer him a better chance or opportunity than where he is right now. And I think they're happy to keep him as well because he, he does bring in good results when he's, when he's on it. So I don't think Gasly is going to really move. Uh, I do have Sonoda here for that second season. I think they will give him the benefit of the doubt of their seat. And the reason I say that is because uh, I believe... Look, if it was Dennis Hauger doing what he's doing in F3, but in F2, you know, I could, I, I, I fully agree that Yuki has one year to do it. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's out. But I genuinely believe that Sonoda... Sonoda was better in F2 than what any of the Red Bull juniors are in, at the moment, than Vips, yeah. than Lawson. It really comes down to whether Red Bull feel they owe Albon after, if they feel like they did him dirty by taking in Perez over him. It really depends if they view, how they view Albon inside the team because it's not inconceivable that Albon could return. If they like him, and he's a safe bet at AlphaTauri. Like, there's no... The pressure is not as much at Red Bull. Uh, he did bring in some solid points for Toro Rosso. Now, look, his teammate was Brendan Hartley, I believe. So, you know, or no, sorry, it's Danny Kivya, wasn't it? Sorry, it's 2019. Yes. So yep. decent benchmark, to be fair. He was bringing good points uh, for that for that unit. So I I always, want, I always want to change my answer to Albon. I, I don't see it, man. That's... It's a very far stretch. If they're going to do him, if they've done him dirty once, they're just going to do him dirty again as soon as Hauger comes up, because Hauger's probably that one that they want to get in there ASAP. I think, yeah. Here's the thing: I th- real deal. Albon, he, Albon's floor is safe. His ceiling, I don't think, is especially high. And I know Sonoda is a bit raggedy, a bit erratic. But if he can turn some of that potential we saw in F two last season, where he rightly was promoted. Uh, if we see some of that potential, I think he's definitely the best option out of every one of uh, Red Bull, apart from well, excluding Hauger right now, because we just don't know enough uh, right, right now. We have to see when Hauger gets to F2, how he gets on. But I, I think Sonoda has a higher ceiling in terms of driver potential 
than Vips, than Lawson, than Albon. I think he's got higher seen than all of those guys. That's that's I don't know. I, I I haven't seen enough of Vips to say that. If I if I've had seen more of Vips at the front then I would I would disagree. But I agree with you on the fact that Sonoda probably does have the more of the ceiling right now. But he just needs to calm him down calm himself down a little bit, doesn't he? Just hmm. go go unnoticed up to a point in certain race weekends where he just gets on with it and has a, a quiet race and brings it home in the points. Like he, hmm. like he did in Silverstone, Very much so. to be fair. Yeah, that, so. that's the thing. If Phipps was where Tick, like even doing stuff that Tickton was doing or Joe was doing or Piastri or anything of the sort there, I know Vips is high up in fifth and look, he's only six points off of Schwartzman in third. Vips has been solid. But I feel like the like Tictum, I think Tictum and Schwartz have made more noise, if you get me. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, I don't know, I just... Now, Vips could crush it, and our opinion could change, but that's part and parcel of it all. We're doing this now, instead of after, you know, Jeddah or Abu Dhabi, so... Yeah, we're, obviously we'll end up coming back to this and having a, a, a good listen back mm. and talking about what we said and how it looks now, and how stupid we've looked. I also don't know where Vips is with a super license from that point of I th- view. I think he's one of the only ones that has one, if I'm not mistaken, because he was dropped in as Red Bull's reserve driver for last season for COVID responsibilities and stuff. We know Piastri has one, and we know Joe might have one now with this FP1 testing. I believe he does now, yes. Schwartzman will have one next year as well when he finishes where he finishes, so... Yeah, I'm just wondering about that. But I think they'll give Snowden another chance. He's got... Look, there is a thing about Snowden this year. Not, they're, I don't think they're going to drop him. Uh, he's not been that bad. And there's so many races this year for him to prove his worth. I think he'll eventually figure something out. You know, I know we're nine rounds in, ten rounds in. But there's, mm-hmm. we're not even halfway through. I think there's... Look, if, if Snowden is dropped... I think it will have been on merit because there's been so he'll have had so many chances to uh, to do it. Twenty three to be precise. If we get to twenty three, yeah, yeah. So that that that's my thoughts on mm. it anyway. So it's a tough one. It's up to Yuki, basically, is what we're saying. He's he's got he's the one that's yeah. gonna get it done. Basically, it's the onus is uh, on him to uh, to do it. I think it's his. I think it's his seat to lose. Really, this year at least. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, but but again, I fully agree with you. Like, if a driver like Piastri comes available, then God do it. Yeah, you just you just can't ignore that. Is this the same same scenario as Russell? Yeah, basically. So I would agree with you on that. So interesting split split choice there on the Alpha Tari, uh, Aston Martin, Lance Stroll. Right, there's no need to no need to uh, spend too much time there. Alpha Romeo. Okay. Right. Let's 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 cover one of these seats very quickly. We both think Valtteri Bottas is being uh shipped out of uh, Mercedes in favor of George Russell. Do you have him landing at Alfa Romeo because I do? I have one Finn being replaced by another Finn. Yeah. Mika Hakkinen. I don't think he ever <laughs> technically Yeah, he never officially retired, I don't think. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Imagine wake up tomorrow and that's the the front page on Sky Sports News <laughs> one flying fin for another yeah no I, in all seriousness I do have Bottas there mm-hmm. 
uh, seems like a good landing spot for him to be fair I think I know Fred Vassour has talked about how they're very optimistic that you know they're on top of things for next year and that there's going to be uh, you know this is a, it's going to be a good place to be so we'll see how that takes shape I know they've mm-hmm. made good gains this year it, they're not totally reflective because uh, you know like it's a big it was a, such a big bridge to kind of get at, you know to make up to those teams because it, you know they were pretty convincingly slower than your 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 Renaults and your for, uh, racing points and that kind of thing last year. So there was a bit of a gap. They've been a lot. They've been in, in the mix a lot more races this year, even if it's not for points. So there has been good improvement from Alfa Romeo. It's just not been totally reflective in the uh, in the standings. Yeah, and they've been unlucky a few times as well with mm. penalties and stuff that have not gone their way. And Perez barging uh, his way past Raikkonen and out to the points as well. So, in uh, Silverstone, which yeah. didn't help. Now, this second seat might be the most difficult one to predict on the entire grid. This could be anybody. I'm I'm split in two ways. I think if... Now, why don't you talk to us about uh, the recent announcement about Alfa Romeo and Sauber program continuing and what bearing that might have on the, uh, on the situation? So it got announced over the course of the British Grand Prix weekend that... Alfa Romeo and Sauber were going to continue in the sport for at least another three or four years, I believe it was. Mm. And obviously Ferrari have a relationship with Alfa Romeo where they place one of their driver academy in the Alfa Romeo team. And that obviously at the minute is currently Giovinazzi. And then Calamala is the reserve for the Alfa Romeo team and Ferrari. Now, along with this new deal, it was announced that that option for Ferrari is gone. So technically... It means that Giovinazzi is not part of that team for next mm, year. They've no, they've no obligation to. There's no loyalty mm. in that sense. So if they, if Alvaro Romeo want to, they can quite easily put in, like, say, a Hulkenberg or a Hamilton or whatever. They can do <laughs> what they want with that seat. It is theirs mm. to do. But I still think, in my head, they would put a Ferrari Junior in there. Interesting. So... I imagine that is Callum Eilat. No, it's the Lord Jesus himself. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, it is Callum Eilat. I don't see Giovinazzi getting another season, if I'm honest. I think he drops back down to the uh, Ferrari simulator role, doing what Caviat did a few years ago and what Giovinazzi used to do. Mm. So I'm interested that you say Eilat because I would have thought perhaps you would have said Schwartzman. I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough one to say, but I think because Callum's been with the team for the year, I think he's got his foot in the door. Mm. If you know what I mean? Unless Rob like wins the F2 title, which I don't see happening at this point in time. Or he might do. He's a very talented driver, don't get me wrong, but I think Callum proved that he's one to watch and he he's the underdog, isn't he? I, I didn't rate him before the 2020 F2 season at all. And in our nowhere, he was the qualifying king. Should have, probably should have won the title. Yeah. A little unlucky. And then, obviously, the uh, Mazepin deal sort of kicked him out. The Hassi was which was basically his, if we, that we mm. all know. It was, all not, it was definitely Callum's to take. And then Mazepin came in and took it off him. And then ended up him at Alfa Romeo. So for, for me, Callum deserves that chance to show what he can do. Yeah, I agree. Like 
Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat were the best two drivers in F2 last season in a season where it was there were so many different winners. It was so tightly contested. That was a fantastic championship battle, one that Schumacher won in the end. But honestly, you know, three or four drivers felt they, I'm sure, feel they could have and should have won that title. Everyone had moments. Uh, you pick any of those top four essentially from 2020, you put them in 2019, and they probably blitz it. Yeah, easy. Given that, yeah, so it speaks to the, the quality of the drivers in F2 last season, and Eilat included. Uh, not only do he, does he have obviously he's embedded in that team this year, uh, he's also you know, he also had connections in you know, in throughout last year as well. With uh, mm. they were obviously he was, did he? I think he ended up doing some testing after Abu Dhabi, correct? He did, yes. So, you know, it's it's not a throw him in kind of thing like it would be with Schwartzman. Yeah, there'd be a lot of bedding in that Schwartzman would need to do. Um and a lot has done FP one sessions with the team as well this year. Two so, of them this year, I believe. Yeah. For me that sort of is like a signal that signal of intent from them. I see that and then I'm split because you could easily see Nico Hulkenberg in that's in that spot. Yeah. I have him placed elsewhere though. Okay, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, my big question mark, I think, is whether Port Chair can get the super license points. Yeah. If he gets the super license points, I don't think Fred even hesitates. Even if even with the loyalty to Callum, mm. Port Chair is too young and too good to ignore. Yeah, because I think they'll be, they'll be, I'm sure there are teams sniffing around and would have already had picked up on this Alpha Alpha or sorry Cyber were early on this one. And that's early for poor chair. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just turned seventeen. Uh, runner up last year in in F in F three, which gives him, I believe, uh twenty five super license points already to his name. So he needs to really get himself a a top five finish, essentially maybe top six even in F two to get enough super license points. To uh, yeah, to do it, and if they feel he's ready, then I don't. I I think they they should pull the trigger because they have, they may have one of the most exciting talents. I I view Porsche in the same way I viewed Norris coming out of F two. He wasn't the winner, but I I believed in Norris's ability and his ceiling more than I did Russell's coming out of F two. Even though Russell won the F two championship, that was always how I felt is that Norris had more star potential. Even though Russell was a safer bet, I always felt like Lando had a bit more star potential in him. And I feel that way about Porcher as well. Yeah, I agree. Porcher is so young and it's got... You could easily leave him for another season in F2, but mm. you don't want to leave him there and him wonder why he, got, he didn't get picked if he's already got the super license points. Because other teams, like I say, will quite happily, quite happily pinch him off of them. So it, again, like I could see them going a, a bunch of different ways with this, but I think if Porcher has the super license points, uh, I, I really think he could be there and it'd be really exciting, and people would be surprised. Yeah, it would. I, I didn't even think about it if I'm honest. I just because of how far down in the F two standings he was, I didn't really think he was really an option. But now you say he's got that many super license points. If he gets top five, then don't see why not. Uh, he's currently sixth. He's twenty points off of Vips in in fifth there. So, and the worry is that the majority of his scoring obviously came at Monaco, where it's impossible to overtake. 
Uh, he's only his maximum number of points he scored at other events uh, was ten at Silverstone. Now I know, now to be fair, he was coming back from an injury and he was obviously affected by it, but he hasn't scored big in the other rounds. So he's he has some big, big, big weekends ahead of him. If he can find the form, get himself in that mix with your Tictums and Schwartzmans and the such for like your even fourth or fifth on track. Even like I don't think he needs to worry about podiums too much, uh, to be honest. Yeah, well, look at what Piastri's doing. He's not exactly winning races, is he, at the minute? He won a few early on, but he's not really there. He's on the podium, but he's just being consistently mm. in that top five. That's all you need to do, as we saw with Schumacher last year. Consistency is key. That's all that matters. He's gotten podiums in the feature races, but he's not won one feature race, and Joe has yeah. won two. So That's it. And he's five points ahead of Joe. So, yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating... A fascinating uh it's it's the seat i think i am the most interested in as well as that alpha tari seat yeah yeah very very interested to see what they do but i was saying that i'm also interested to see what williams do but yes let's move on to williams because i think we're fairly Haas is fairly i think it's fairly Haas set is, uh, it's going to be schumacher and mazepin for a second year yeah and if anyone's leaving that team it's mazepin yeah <laughs> So, which I doubt will happen because of the sponsorship, mm, especially in a year where they need the development in the uh, yeah in the car. So yeah, obviously exactly. timely stuff for uh, for Haas. So speaking of Williams, uh, they have an interesting proposition as well, where both their drivers are free agents, so to speak, at the end of the season. Both have contracts. Uh, we expect Russell to move up, or we expect. Look, regardless of what happens with Mercedes, I think this is Russell's last season with Williams, regardless. Yeah, he's not there. That's it. That's him done after this. So that's one seat opened up. Now, let's look at Latifi's seat first before we look at the empty one because it's... Look, Latifi brings sponsorship. That is clear. That is the reason he's there <laughs> because he's not particularly there because he's an especially great driver. He, aside from Mazepin, might be the worst driver on the grid. Yeah, no, I agree with that. <clears throat> so, it's been two, one and a half seasons of not great from Latifi, and the chance he did have a, you know, an opportunity to do something at Imola last year, he obviously binned it on there on lap one. So it really comes down to the fact that Latifi was signed under the previous regime, a regime that needed the cash influx and needed the money. Now, a situation where that injection of cash isn't as urgently needed but the question mark and again the only really the only people who on the inside would really know if that injection is still needed and if it is worth the lack of results that you're getting from that seat i did i don't think it is at this point i don't think so either it I don't think Jews still want him there another season. I just don't see it happening. They can't have... If they want to go forwards, they can't have a driver that's holding them back. It just doesn't work. So, here's my thought on it. Um, I do have him down here. I do have him as a, him in that seat next year. But it's it's tight because... Mm. It's going to be the worst driver pairing on the grid, realistically speaking. Uh, so I have the TV in one seat, 
Uh, you don't, I'm assuming. I don't, no. So, He's, I have three drivers that leave, and that's Kimi, Gio, and Latifi. Okay, so who's, in your in your, uh, in your guesstimate, who is replacing Latifi then next season? Uh, so, uh, and let's not do the F2, right? Because uh, I think we're both going to be in agreement there. So who's your, mm-hmm. your, your, your other driver in that uh, seat? So I've gone for a, a proper team leader, a guy that turned around Renault's fortunes, Mr. Mm. P7 himself, Mr. Nico Hülkenberg. Obviously drove with Williams when he first made his debut in F1, got the amazing pole in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And then I think this is it, do or die for Hülkenberg. He said it himself, if it's not this season, if he doesn't come back next season, then that's him done with Formula One. So I, I just feel... There's unfinished business, and he he needs a project team to finish his career off. I think Williams gives him the opportunity to do that. Whether it, it goes as planned is another story, but mm-hmm. anything could happen with that team next year. Absolutely anything. So for me, a team leader like him with the experience he offers with a young driver alongside him to to teach is the way to go. Yeah, I think it's a really safe bet in many ways because, like you said, he's look. I can't say that he's familiar with the team. It's a different team. It's it's also like twelve years later in a sense as well. It so is, yeah. There is that, but the connection will be nice. The nostalgia from you know, I think, will be nice. I think it's there. I think both parties gain from it, which I think is the best thing because it gives Hulkenberg obviously a seat back in, which he obviously deserves and was, of course. Uh, unceremoniously kind of booted in at the end of 2019 when yeah. you know they're obviously the Ocon stuff happened it gives Williams a proven driver who will get results who can push the development again you you mentioned Renault they went from Palmer and the very uh, young Kevin Magnussen and Hulkenberg pushed that team to where it is now. That team's not where it is without Nico Hulkenberg doing those those the hard legwork in 2017 and 2018, you know, to uh, to push them to those results to gain that constructors uh, finishing to get them to get be able to place to sign Daniel Ricciardo to be in a place where, you know, a driver like Ricciardo believes in that project, whether it was right or wrong, he believed in what he saw and. That was spearheaded by the work that Science and Hulkenberg had had been doing at the team at that point, so which works great for Williams's medium term kind of future, where you want to push yourself out of that back position. You have a driver who's proven that he can be that driver, so it makes perfect sense from both sides why a relationship would want to be struck there. Yeah, it, it is literally a no brainer for me. Uh, but at the same time, mm. I can see this going one of two ways. I can and see that is. Mm-hmm. Go on, go on. I can see it going that way, and I also see them leading towards the safety of the the TV cash. <laughs> yeah, there is that. The third option for me is that Hulkenberg goes back to Alfa Romeo, mm-hmm. and then Bottas returns to Williams. Mm. It could work either way. They've both been at the team in one sense or another, so. It depends who wants to go where, doesn't it? At the moment, the Bottas to Alfa rumours are more prominent. The Hulkenberg comeback isn't really there in the actual rumours itself. Just more something that I can see happening and makes sense in Mm. my eyes. It makes a lot of sense. 
If you were Valtteri Bottas, where would you prefer to return to if you know you're not going back to Mercedes? Alpha. Yeah, I think so. As 100%. Well. I think so as well. Yeah, it, it just doesn't... Unless unless Alfa take Hockenberg beforehand and Williams is his only option, then I think he'll end up at Williams. But apart from that, for me, it's Alfa or nothing for Bottas. Yeah, here's the thing. I think it's... Williams have said this as well. I think we're going to have to be prepared to wait a long time to hear about Williams' stuff. I don't think we'll have a proper confirmation on their lineup until maybe even December with the race um, and that kind of thing, how it shakes out. I'm thinking even later than that. I'm thinking very late. Very, very late announcement. Could be after Talking the season's early, over. Early February type thing. Late as that? Wow, late as like mm. Hamilton contract stuff. <laughs> yeah. It would, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me because that is a massive decision to make. Mm-hmm. But the earlier the better for them would be the best thing. So, yeah, I think we're going to have to wait for a while on this one. So, we're in disagreement about the first seat, but I assume we're going to be in agreement on the second seat, and I think Dan Tickton makes the leap. The sole leap, it seems like, unless we, depending on what you believe about poor chair, the sole leap from F2 to F1 for 2022. I have Dan Tickton there. Do you, Who do you have? Roy Nassani. <laughs> <laughs> Stop that. Sorry, I couldn't not. But no, Tickton rightly deserves the chance. I'd be very surprised if they took Aiken in that car. Very, very surprised. Yeah, I would be too. Based on how his F2 season in the minute is going, not going very well at all. But that probably is a lot down to the absolute shambles is that that is the <laughs> uh, HWA team. Absolutely ridiculous team that they exist. Honestly, so bad. Yeah. This is where I get sponsored by HWA in the future. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put any stock into... St- uh, Aitken's F2 stuff this year it it does not matter you have a three year resume a three year body of work between 18, 19 and 20 you know whether you feel about Campos in 2020 is another thing with Aitken but like you you have you have everything you need to know about Aitken at this stage he came in did a decent job in uh, Secure until they dropped it on the uh, on the uh, last corner there so yeah, I think Tictum is the... Look, Tictum's pace has never been in question. It's been everything else. He hasn't had the super yeah. license. I think it's safe to say he would have been in F1 by now if he had a super license back in 2019. Because again, I think the only reason Albon was there in the first place was to make a stopgap because Tictum didn't get the didn't beat Mick Schumacher to the uh, European F3 title in uh, 2018, which is the only reason why I think Albon got the seat in the first place. So... I agree. Yeah, I think this is the year it finally happens. Uh, again, I think three years later than it probably should have. But look, ultimately, if you're good enough, you probably will end up in F1. And I think Tictum has been that, especially shown it this year. That's the thing. It's like it's like with Schumacher last year. You know, he wasn't going to get it on his first year in F2 showing. That wasn't, you know, both of them weren't great in their first year in F2. Uh, but they were much, much improved. Well, Schumacher obviously much, much more improved in last year. Tictum showing a similar kind of leap this year where it's it's, it's legit. He's doing it towards the front of the grid this year. Yeah, he's showing the speed that we've always known him to have. It's just his attitude and his ability to keep calm that has let him down in the past. Yeah. As we've seen with uh, certain incidents at Silverstone. <laughs> So like he's done everything he's had to do so far. He's in the right place. He's got he's still in title contention, certainly top three contention. Two points off Schwartzman. Uh, I th- I know it's going to be. I think this is the year it finally happens. Uh, my only question was that again, if 
they're going to have the worst driver lineup if they run with Latifi and Tictum. So it's whether Williams want to suffer that. And that's the case you would make for the likes of a Bottas or a Hulkenberg coming back is that because you're going to be taking on a rookie regardless, it looks like. So yeah, we've seen, and now look, I know that car is not competitive, but we're seeing the issues that Haas have with having a double rookie lineup. It's not ideal in F1 to have a double rookie lineup because you have two drivers who don't really know what they're doing or, you know, at least learning their yeah, reference, learning their way and finding their feet in the team and all this kind of thing. Whereas again, I, not that I would, you, I, not that I think, don't think Hulkenberg should be especially interested in passing wisdom to uh, Dan Tickton, but at least you've got a solid driver in one and a developing driver in another. Yeah, that, that's the outlook I had on it. So for me, Tickton is the one that makes sense. If they decide to do something else, then God has so helped them. They're just setting themselves up to fail. Yeah, like it has to be one of those. Two. Like if it's not Tictum, surely it's got to be Aiken. It puts someone yeah. to believe in, in that car. I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God. If we get to February and I see an Israeli flag on that car, it won't I am not. I am not going to watch F1 ever again. <laughs> Hold me to that. I will never watch F1 again. I think he'll be fine because it's it's literally impossible. He does not have the super license points. It is literally impossible. Money can buy anything, Graham. He cannot buy a money, super. It cannot buy a super license. Money I can you. buy anything if your name if, if your name is the goat. <laughs> I assure you, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> so uh, if I wake up and see that he's there, I am blaming you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll accept that. <laughs> So those are our, um, so let's let's recap very quickly. Uh, I'll run through my grid and then Luke will run through his. I have Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell. In Red Bull, I've got Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. Ferrari, obviously, there's Leclerc and Sainz. Alpine, Alonso and Ocon. And McLaren, Norris and Ricardo. Uh, AlphaTauri is Gasly and Sonoda for me. Uh, Aston Martin is Vettel and Stroll. Alfa Romeo is Bottas and Portchair. Haas, Schumacher, Mazepin and Williams, Latifi and Tictum. Though I suspect I'll be incorrect on that. Yes. So I have uh, Lewis and George for Mercedes, Max and Checo for Red Bull, Lando and Danny Rick for uh, McLaren, with Pato Ward as the reserve driver. Just mm. throw that in there. Nice. Got to. Can't not. Um, <laughs> Charles and uh, Carlos for uh, Ferrari, uh, Robert Schwartzman as the reserve driver. Might as well chuck that in as well because I've got it written down. Aston Martin is unchanged with Seb and Lance. Um, Alpine is the same, Alonso and Ocon. Uh, AlphaTauri is Gasly and the Mighty Piastri with Yuki dropping down to reserve. Alfa Romeo, Bottas and Mr. Kalamarlot with Giovinazzi back in the team up as the development driver. Uh, Williams, like we just said, Hawkenberg and Tictum and then the reserve driver of the Nissani. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would make most sense, wouldn't it, at that point? If, they, if they're not going to get money from Latifi, then they're going to get money Got from Nissani. Got to be Nisani. somewhere, yeah, I think you're yeah. right. And then Haas is unchanged with uh, Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. Um, just to clarify, this is, I think some people are going to be understandably a little confused at why we're so quick to throw Giovinazzi to the side. Look, he's had a good... Look, I think he's, I think he's had a decent season. Uh, I, mm. I don't think there's too many drivers who can start as well as he can, make as many places as he can off no, the grid. No, he's probably the best star in F1. There's no doubt about uh, that. Like, it's, look, I've, I've, I'm with you, and his qualifying's been decent too. Uh, the problem is, though, you've had him for three seasons at this stage. You know, he's not young. 
No. Um, and I, as young as in, like, look, I, look, I say he's like he's younger than I am, but he's not. He's he's older in the sense that you've got the likes of Eilat and Schwartzman and the, and that such. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi is no correction. He's older. He's older than I am. He's twenty eight in December. What? Yeah. The Jesus is twenty eight. He's twenty eight in on December fourteenth. So that's mad. I think we've seen everything we're going to see, I think, from Giovinazzi at this stage. Look, does he deserve to be an F1? Sure. But so did Nico Hülkenberg. And so did Esteban Ocon. Yeah. So, you know, you got to make a move at some point. And if it's not poor chair, then it should be Eilat. Or it should be Schwartzman. Yeah, you know? I just don't see Gio being there. It's not to disrespect. No it's just he's had his time and he's not shown enough. And it's, you know... F1 life moves fast it's someone else is going to have to have a go yeah and we we were both the same when we heard the uh, Alfa Romeo announcement last year or this year whenever it was that they were retaining their driver lineup it was that was bizarre that was bizarre then the same way that retaining Roman Grosjean for last year was also bizarre yeah from Haas so. now saying this Lawrence Stroll is a big reason why Giovinazzi has an F1 career could he throw him a lifeline and chuck him in as Aston Martin's reserve driver? Because if Hulkenberg goes back to Williams, then that mm. option for them to have Hulkenberg there sort of goes out the window, doesn't it? There's an opening there for sure. Mm. Uh, there is something I want to make mention of. And it's, I know Mercedes have wanted to try and get Van Dorn and De Vries in the action here as well. So there could be an opening maybe at Williams for maybe one of those two. It would be an interesting uh, thought to throw in as well. I don't personally see it. But... If it's, it's probably going to be more De Vries than Van Dorn, I would say. Yeah, I would say likely. Uh, De, look, Nick De Vries was a solid F2 driver when he was in a more competitive field. He won the title ahead of the Tifi in 2019, in a rather hollow 2019, let's be real. Uh, yeah. I don't think... Look, I, I don't I'm, I don't think anyone particularly cared too much given everything that happened in F2 that year. I think everyone was just glad to see the back of that year. We just get to the end of that season uh, without any more uh, just, yeah, just unfortunate accidents and anything of the sort that would make the F2 season worse than it needed to be. And I do think it's tough because just because you win an F2 championship does not mean you're F1 ready. Yeah. And I think that was reflective in De Vries's instant path to Formula E. Now he was... He caught a great break, landed with Mercedes in that in that role. Uh, I just don't see him as a Formula One talent, uh, and I think if anyone should get another shot, it should be Verline and Van Dorn. And yeah, not Verline more. Yeah, ver, 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 now you say Verline, he was. Ver, I read him very highly when he was at Salva, very very highly. Yeah, but he's he's one of them that disappeared again, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. He was, look, he's the victim of the fact that Manor disappeared and that 11th team disappeared. Mm. So, you know, he did get a landing spot, but there's nothing that Mercedes could redo re for him. He was unfortunate, just not enough seats. It's just one of the, look, look, how many stories could you find about about something similar to that? So, um, that, so that vector is there to be looked at with De Vries and Van Dorn, who also could argue was given an unfair... Uh, time in F1 next to Alonso in those McLaren years where it was just just awful. awful so you know 
again. But look, F one isn't fair. We know that full well. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna blindside you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I know we're probably running on a bit, but we might as well chuck it in. Sure. Eleventh team enters the grid. Who was the two two drivers you chuck in there? Can't be anyone we've mentioned. It's already in a team that we've written down. So it's got to be someone like De Vries or Van Dorn. Mm. Well, here's the thing: there have been more VW rumblings of late mm. about you know they've been in on this for engine meetings, according to race fans and the such. Uh, there, there is potential that this could like uh, look. I know portion and such has been mentioned, but this VW thing seems to be a little bit more serious, and I think is given credit for. So if, if it is VW, and excluding you know relationships that you know like if or DTM or whatever the case may be, uh, if someone were to get a shot in, I think Verline would be one. To be fair, yeah, German driver in given, a German team, given that connection, sense. and. To get yourself going, you need an established driver. I know I know you said not to mention names we haven't. I don't have him on my list. I'd go with Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> no, well, that makes sense. An old German lineup. That that's fair. That's fair. Very fair. So what would you do? I would chuck uh Granu Joe in there. Mm-hmm. Seeing as Alpine have got to place him somewhere. Mm. And you get sponsorship then, to be fair as well. Yes. Good sponsorship from the Chinese backers. Mm-hmm. And then probably Oh, I'd want to say, I want to say Pato. I'd, uh, uh, I, I, I just feel that Indi- the IndyCar link needs to be there. You know what I mean? It's just, it's overdue. It so is overdue. I, I'm going to chuck Pato in there. I think Pato will be that guy. It's whether it's when either Norris decides to move on, should he It'll seek Ricardo. something, but more likely Ricardo, yeah. Yeah, and I think by that time, whether look whether Pat Ward has a super license points this year or not, uh, it's a matter of time. It seems like that he that that train seems like it doesn't it is not going to be stopped. <laughs> He's too young no. and too good in a professional setting already. Yeah, and so, as long as Zach Brown is there, mm-hmm. there is a path yeah, somewhere. Yes, so it could be a good stopgap, but the incentive for VW or whoever to do it might not be as high if you know he's going to be leaving at some point. Yeah, yeah. You could, go, you could go, you can go, look, you could, you could argue all day. I think Joe's unfortunate that I think he's in a similar situation to DeVries. I think he's better than DeVries was in F2, but might not have the high-end stuff like Piastri and the such. Yeah, with, the, with how long he's been in F2 as well. It's taken him this long to get going to where he is now. But he was a little unlucky last year with certain things going mm-hmm. against him. But for me, Oscar is the more naturally talented one with the bigger ceiling. See, the end of it. Yeah, see, that's how it feels to me. I, I just can't envision another scenario where Joe isn't in Formula E while Piastri is involved in F1 in one way or another, where it's like Alpha Tari, like you say, or in that role with Alpine, there's their man there every week, the reserve driver, the third driver, etc., etc. Yeah. He's just, for me, the the, law, the path there is Formula E for Zoe. Yeah. 100%. Um, but hey, look, you can make a decent career and it's, you look, never say never. Yeah, basically. So I think that has basically covered our feelings on it. I'm going to be fascinated to revisit this at some point and see how right slash wrong we were. The big question marks for me are that those, uh, I guess, the Alfa Romeo and Williams stuff. The mm. Alfa Tari stuff to an extent, but not as much, I'd say, as Alfa Romeo and Williams are going to be doing. 
Yeah. It's going to be one to keep your eye on over that summer break that we've got after next week's race in Hungary. Yeah, where usually the uh, where usually the big driver announcements or changes happen. Mm, that's it. So, yeah, should be fun. So, my thanks to Luke as always for joining me today, and uh, for you as well for listening. We do have some exciting stuff uh, to come with you know possibly you know, places we could be releasing the podcast week week nudge nudge yes nudge nudge yes so uh should be should be fun so yeah unless you've any other thoughts to add luke i don't i know you've got a uh, love island to catch i do i do <laughs> cannot miss it cannot miss no never so <laughs> that's been another edition of the switchback formula one podcast next week of course will be the hungarian grand prix uh, race review but in the meantime i've been graham I've been Lucas Degrassi in honour of his black flag in Formula E today. <laughs> I, I saw that on the race fans' home site. <laughs> My God. Awful. Can you, can you, Absolutely awful. I don't know what happened. Can you quickly take me through what happened? So he was in P8. He decided to go through the pits whilst it was a safety car. And he came out in the lead and got black flagged. <laughs> and then kept going, right? Yeah, he kept going. <laughs> Didn't see anything wrong. Oh, that's amazing. That's the first black flag I've ever seen in my life <laughs> of watching professional racing. Unbelievable. I think the only one I can think of is... I don't even... I, to be honest, I don't even remember Montoya 04. I was an F1 fan then, but I honestly yeah, don't, no. even, I don't even remember it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> oh, boy. Right. Well, thank you as always for watching. And uh, until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>